As usual, uh, as usual, in my preparation for uh, for today, <coughs> I've made use of materials from Lifeway, uh, Sean Thomas, Pastor in Franklin, uh, Texas, Gary Stiver, who is with the uh, First Baptist Church of, of Houston, and, and Mike Howard. Uh, our son-in-law of one of the members here, J.B. and the late J.B. and uh, Ozell Head, excuse me. <clears throat> I got a frog. Lord, take this frog away. <laughs> anyway, I'll let you know all this. It's not to impress you with my preparation, of course. <laughs> but it, it, that's because I might inadvertently uh, neglect to reference these, these sources uh, as I received this morning, and as in every every lesson, sometimes you know when when you look at commentaries and so forth, uh, some of the ideas kind of melt in your own, reinforce your own, and so it's always good uh, if you quote them or give an idea from your references. It's always good good idea. So I do that, uh, but uh, to somewhat protect myself. And also give credit where credit is due. All right, we're continuing in our book of Isaiah. I mean, Jeremiah. Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet to the same people, uh, but much earlier than, than Jeremiah. All right. Now, our curriculum uh, for Jeremiah uh, is divided into uh, 12 sessions. Uh, and uh, we're today we're in session number seven of those 12 and we'll be looking at the first part of chapter 29 the, and the book is divided in 51 chapters and so after today we will have covered about about 60 percent of the book of jeremiah that's where we stand jeremiah god's prophet to judah uh who judah was the remaining remnant of God's chosen people in Israel. Uh, Jeremiah's ministry started somewhere around uh, 627 BC. And by that time, the northern kingdom uh, was long gone, having been destroyed by Assyria uh, as part of God's judgment uh, of their sin. So God, God spoke through Jeremiah words of warning of his coming judgment against Judah, uh, lest the nation repent of their their evil ways. And, and let's face it, as we've seen already, the people that had become just evil to the core, and despite brief periods of uh, reform, national reform, by a, good, a couple of good kings, the people's worship of God was really just flatly insincere one of just lip service their lifestyles uh, violated all of god's all of god's commandments and then jeremiah's preaching to the people was not well received uh, and but despite health threat uh death threats uh health threats see jeremiah remained uh faithful to 
his assignment that God had given him. But with all that said, he was hurt uh, by his fellow countrymen and he hurt for them. He garnered the nickname of uh, the weeping prophet. False prophets were always a thorn in Jeremiah's side. And some of that is described in the verses that just immediately precede, or the chapters that immediately precede chapter 29, where we are today. Well, in 605 BC, Babylon had risen to be a world power uh, under its new king, Nebuchadnezzar. And even though God had left the door open uh, for Judah to repent of their sins and return to him, uh, but as he, God knew before, as God knew beforehand, uh, their actions by refusing brought severe consequence, and and that's what they did. So he brought Babylon against Judah, as predicted, and it was an ugly, drawn-out affair. In the year 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar attacked and uh, carried many of Judah's uh, citizens away into exile into Babylon, some 800 miles to the east of, of Jerusalem. Uh, and the first wave of those exiles uh, included Daniel. Included Daniel. And we've studied Daniel in the past. All right. Now, Babylon was probably, as the bird flies, maybe 500 to the east. You look on your maps, and I have a hard, had a hard time finding a map I can pin up for you, but it's in the back of your book, there's a map that shows uh, the Holy Land, and, and it shows Jerusalem. Put your finger on that and move it off to your right for a, a, way, a long ways across the desert. All right, you would come to Babylon. And the Babylon really was the entire, not only was a city, but it was an entire stretch of land. It was known in those days as the Fertile Crescent. But around the city of Babylon was the city of Ur. You remember Abraham and how he came from Ur? Of the Chaldees? That's the same place. But you can't go from there to uh, directly uh, to Jerusalem, to Judah from uh, that region across the desert. You have to go north and come in, uh, go north and around and come in from the north. Well, the first wave occurred about 605, and the second wave of exiles occurred in 597 BC, and this is the one that included uh, the priest Ezekiel. So Daniel and Ezekiel, who studied both of these uh, uh, people and previously. Uh, then the third and final uh, wave of exiles occurred in 586 BC. Uh, and it was then that Jerusalem and the temple were completely destroyed by Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar specifically. Now then, so it's all about exile. Be exiled is to be cast out. And in a sense, 
Adam and Eve were exiled from Eden. Uh, and in a sense, we are exiled, if you will, after Adam, in that sense. Mike Howard contends that the main theme of the Bible is really exile. Uh, and because it's in exile that we then find redemption. So, Jeremiah 29 is the text of two letters. Uh, Jeremiah wrote to those who had been exiled, probably uh, written between the second and third wave of exiles. All right, so we're going to just look at the first, uh, first portion of the first letter. All right, and chapter twenty-nine begins this way. This is the text of the letter that Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had depart, deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so this letter contains instructions from God to those who had been exiled up to that time and who were now living in Babylon. And in the, in the letter, uh, God says, you are to thrive. You are to thrive. We pick it up in verse 4. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now verse 1 that we read uh, mentions Nebuchadnezzar who had taken the people into exile and so but God reinforces uh, that fact by the fact that he removed the people from the land into exile they are not there by Nebuchadnezzar's actions alone uh, or by accident uh, and they aren't there because God was asleep on the job or not paying attention and didn't know what had happened says here he is the Lord of the armies he is in other words the Lord of the hosts the heavenly host he's Lord of all he's sovereign over all we will say in those terms he's uh, the supreme commander if you will he's the boss he knows it all and while God says he he sent them into exile. It was really the rebellion of the people that really sent them into exile. Uh, they did it to themselves, really. Uh, and so, and, and you know, if you if if you elect to push God out of your life, uh, he he just might let you. He just might let you do it. Uh, the people, these people, uh, you know, they wanted to be like other nations. They wanted, they wanted to have their kings. They wanted to have their own gods. Uh, they liked the temple of the God, temple of God that they had in Jerusalem, it was right there for them. Uh, but they didn't know the requirements of God uh, to affect their their living. It didn't affect their hearts. So after 
years of warning the people of their actions. God just gave them what they wanted. Uh, a chance to be like the other nations, actually living in another lake, another nation. I'm reminded of this TV on, uh, on a commercial where uh, the woman is, is giving, uh, speaking out against smoking and she says, this tube they put in me to help my breathing. Now I wish for them to take it out. Then she said, be careful what you wish for because when they take it out, it really hurts a whole lot more than it did when it was going in. So that was the, where the exiled uh, Judeans found themselves in Babylon. So he says, this is how you are to live. So look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves. All right? Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give their, your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply them. Do not decrease. So all of these are imperative verbs, you know, build, live, plant, eat. They're all commands uh, in the Hebrew. Uh, and so uh, what we find is, you know, building homes, uh, that requires a, uh, a kind of effort that people, if you're only going to be there for a short while, uh, short stay, that's not what you're going to do. But the word translated live here in the Hebrew denotes something longer, all right? You're going to be there a little longer than just temporarily. So they were not going to be just squatters in Babylon. They were to be homesteaders in Babylon, planting gardens. This, you know, this is going to take, take time. If it involved fruit trees, uh, it would be a long time before uh, the fruit could be harvested to eat. Uh, and so this command just kind of goes against the natural inclination of anyone in captivity. It would be, be natural to think about how to get back home all this time, whether God was going to put some action into play or whether or not he would. Uh, but this, uh, this command is to settle in. Make yourself comfortable. Make the best of the circumstances. Yes. This command is settling. Now, now this is different. When I was in the army, when I was taught in, when I was in the army, U.S. Army, as I recall, the Uniform Military Code of Justice, it says, uh, if you're captured, give your name, your rank, oh five two one three seven nine eight. All right, give your rank and serial number. That's all you do. And always look for an opportunity to escape. That's what you do. Well, this is all opposite of that. So this is settling in, but it's really more than settling settling in. It's continuing your family line into the future. Uh, so this taking and giving in marriage and having children, multiplying, all of these are in, in the Hebrew are imperatives. They are commands. 
from God. Uh, it's the same command that God gave them when they were many years, many, many years before, captive in, in Egypt. That's what they were to do. All right? God told them, I will multiply them, and they shall be few. I will make them honored, and they shall be, they shall be small, but then they will be many. All right? So it should be known they are told to take Babylonian wives. Uh, uh, Deuteronomy still holds for them. Uh, and it says not to intermarry with, with foreigners. But they were to take wives. They would have children, lots of children, many. And so they're going to be there a long time. And so it goes deep. Now the false prophets of Jeremiah's day had told them, you know, don't believe this guy Jeremiah. We're only going to be gone a couple of years. All right? Well, if you only be gone a couple of years, you wouldn't be commanded to do all of these things. All right? Weren't they told they'd be there 70 years? Well, we're just going to find, yes, they were, and that's repeated for us. All right? Because the false prophet, they said, it's going to be a quick return. And Jeremiah said, settling enjoy your grandchildren all right and maybe your great grandchildren well that was tough all right that'd be a tough message in a foreign land tough to receive those but you know it was about to get a lot tougher what was coming up was going to be a lot tougher verse 7 says pursue the well-being of the city i have deported you to Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. All right. So, well being here. That's the word in Hebrew, shalom. And we know shalom means what? Peace. But it's peace on the sense of being well. Uh, it's your welfare, if you will. Uh, meaning that this describes wish when you greet somebody with shalom mean wishing them completeness wholeness in every sense of the word a doctor might say uh, that your body needs a completeness uh, of a number of things to be healthy you know your diet exercise uh, proper diet nutrition uh, rest all these things uh, and you need a support network. All these things are good, and you need this for completeness. Well, the same thing's true for our lives spiritually. We need completeness. We need wholeness. Right. But Josiah, the king, when Jeremiah began his ministry, he was all right was told that he'd die in peace. Uh, well, that's, you'll find that in 2 Kings. He died as a result of battle. <laughs> so, that's not exactly peaceful. Dying. That's not a peaceful thing. But he was said to have died in peace because he had a state of righteousness 
in his relationship with God was a good king. And so there's never, never was, and is now, even now, nothing more important to a Jew than the concept of being in peace or in shalom, if you will, being complete in harmony with God in every, in every way. This is, the, you know, when Jesus uh, said, talks about having abundant life, that's what he was talking about, this wholeness, uh, this shalom, this shalom. All right. And David, in the Psalms, Psalm 122, verse 6, says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The same word translated here is well-being. All right. So, praying for the peace of Jerusalem was ingrained in their consciousness. But Babylon was their enemy. So the people would have nothing but the most extreme bitterness and hatred for Babylon. Praying for the Babylon, their minds would have been unthinkable. A hard message, no doubt, for them to receive. Now, these people who had been exiled more than likely felt abandoned by, by God, by Yahweh, the living God. We've often noted in our past studies how in, in ancient people believed that every nation, every geographical location had its own God or gods, all right? And Israel, for the most part, believed that God was the God of Israel, all right? Of no one else. And so for them to be introduced then to Jehovah, God, that just didn't make much sense. So as far as they were concerned, their lives were over. God had been defeated. He had judged his people. He had exiled them to Babylon. But nevertheless, he was no less God. And so as the people embraced his purpose uh, for the exile, they still could experience his blessing in the exile. So, you know, when we find ourselves in uh, situations where God just doesn't seem to be near. He seems to be absent. We need to remind ourselves that he can still work out his purpose in us under any circumstance, wherever we find ourselves. All right. So, so as the saying goes, uh, God wants us to bloom where we're planted, wherever we are. The old song, you remember this? Right in the corner of the oak where you are. Right in the corner where you are. Someone far from heaven may guide across the bog. Right in the corner where you are. And that's what they were being asked to do. That's what they were being asked to do. Peter, when uh, in his letter, 
First Peter, he seemed to have this in mind as he wrote. He says, Peter, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those chosen, living as exiles scattered abroad. Uh, he had them in mind when he said that. And he's, but in First Peter 5, 13, he saw the church as being in Babylon. In Babylon. In that, the church. Church. So our in that sense, our, our life on earth is a time of exile. We aren't yet in our true eternal home. That song comes on, this world is not my home. What? I'm just a passing through. All right. So wherever we are, we pray, make me a blessing, Lord. Make me a blessing. Someone today. Next, God says, you need to ignore. Ignore what? False prophets. <coughs> Verses 8 and 9. Well, this is what the Lord of, of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. All right. Now the bulk of the population uh, has moved from Jerusalem to Babylon at this point. But the problem hasn't changed. There were false prophets in Jerusalem, and now there are false prophets in Babylon. And, you know, sometimes you hear the question, you need to move away to get a fresh start. Well, don't you imagine some of the false prophets went with them? Of course, they did, yes. It did. One one specifically in the Bible. We'll not cover that, but yes, we will. He did. All right. Uh, but you know, even move from one place to another to get a fresh start, that's not going to change you. It might change your circumstances temporarily. It's not going to help. All right. And so, uh, the false prophets continued after they were moved in a different location. All right? And they were speaking falsely, falsely. And if you're drawn to eloquent speaking uh, and ideas before you were moved, you'd be just as susceptible to it after you moved. So, you move to another location, it's not going to have any effect. It won't change you. Only God can change you. So they speak lies in God's name, uh, stating that they were speaking under uh, God's authority when they weren't. And, and perhaps in doing so, they were trying to obligate God to, to, to bless what their plan was, which they saw as an improvement over what God's plan was. And Let's face it, there are always going to be false prophets. Do we have any today? Yes. And the warning applies to us, doesn't it? We have the responsibility to identify them today. Uh, the false prophet of uh, prophets, Jeremiah, they take, took many forms. 
and we have far more ways now to be exposed uh, to to it today. Uh, why can't I make that statement? We have TV, we have the internet, print publications, widely, all right? So we're fed many messages that are blatantly false uh, about, about the character of God, uh, about uh, his word, the Bible. Uh, it's just uh, raw. And so God's going to protect us from all of that if we will listen to him. So people, primarily false prophets, even today, tell people what they want to hear. All right, this expression tickle the ears, all right? You may not like what God says, like what the false prophets say. There are many preachers today which don't address sin. They want to make you happy. They want to make you feel good about yourself. And when that's, that's true, uh, they skirt the thing about sin. There are prosperity teachers today who proclaim that it's God's will for everyone to be healthy and for everybody to be rich. And so if you just keep saying, uh, I'm not sick and I won't be, I'll just claim it uh, and, and, and I will have God's blessing on me. I'll, I'll just say, I am successful in this, in the mirror every day. And, and I'll be that, and, and so on. <coughs> false promises, false logic. All right. There, like I said, there are false prophets. Who, yeah, it's like that thing on uh, TV now where they send you certain water. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A certain garment. All right. A prayer cloth. You know. They'll sell you lots. Right. They just be careful. All right. But, uh, it all sounds good, but this is but it's what people want to hear, not not the truth. In uh, Jeremiah's day, God provided his people other prop, true prophets, such as Ezekiel and Daniel and Zephaniah, Habakkuk. Uh, but the people only listened to those who spoke lies. And so God's always consistent in his message. Uh, and, and even God's law, as recorded in Deuteronomy, uh, stressed that a prophet's message would not contradict what God had already revealed. All right. And so, uh, so a lot of dynamic speakers that claim to speak for God, but we need to always examine their messages. And how do we do that? How do we measure whether something is true or false what's said. We pair it with the written word of God, the scripture. All right. God's not going to violate that. Right. Brother, one thing we notice is that God doesn't ever have to change his word. The false prophets had to keep changing their message because they kept getting it wrong. We'll never be defeated. We're the Lord's people. Well, we were defeated, but they'll never destroy the temple. Well, they destroyed the temple, but we won't go into exile. Well, we went into exile, but yeah. we're coming right back. Yeah. And they had to keep changing their message. 
Because they were false. Absolutely. God's prophets, his promises come true. You can bank on it. He never has to revise it. That's right. It's always true. Paul said it like this uh, in Ephesians. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. All right. So at this time in, in Jeremiah's day, they were literally living in the wrath of God. When John wrote his letter, First John chapter four, verse one, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God." But many false prophets have gone out into the world. And finally, God said, "Hope, hope." Now, the word used in the Bible, hope, is not like we say, you know. I hope, I hope, I hope, like I wish, I wish, I wish. All right. But rather, we, as we've seen in the past, the word translated hope denotes having a confident assurance that's uh, based on God's promises. All right. Verse 10 says this. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. God says, after 70 years, I, I'll turn my attention to you so as to confirm my promise uh, to restore you to this place. And this place being home. It's the place where Jeremiah is as he writes the letter. All right? 70 years, not two days, as the false prophets had preached. And, and so 70 years. And most interpreters believe the expression 70 years probably designates the year. 605 B.C., the first wave, uh, to 535 B.C., when Cyrus of Persia came into power and, and released the uh, people to go back. All right. So the people return, could return then after 70 years to Judah and establish the temple's foundation once more and rebuild. All right. Now at this point in our text, uh, comes a, we come to a, a very, a very well known and oft repeated verse. We see it often in art, and we see it in uh, sewing projects and cross stitch and so on, uh, framing houses, all that building. All right, verse eleven, verse number eleven. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. Give you a future and a hope. To give you a future and a hope. I know the plans I have for you. Literally. In the Hebrew, it says, I know the thoughts I think of you. I know the thoughts I think of you. And those two words of thoughts and thinking, they, they, they're translated, you know, plans and have. They're used together many times, 17 times in the Old Testament. And many of those in, are in Jeremiah. Uh, by inference, then, the thoughts in the, this letter's context have to do with what God has for them in the future. So it does mean 
what plans I have for you. And that, that's their well-being. That's their, their shalom. Their shalom. Their wholeness. Their wellness. All right? And that's their, their, their God's concern for them. In his commentary, Kevin Peacock cautions us to be careful when attempting to apply this verse to our lives. And here's where it's misquoted off. It's taken out of context. For the promise was given originally to these exiles in Babylon. And it was a problem, promise not made to individuals. It was made to the community of God's people. So all of the pronouns here, you, are plural in the Hebrew. So finally, the, the promise was specifically regarding the future of the exiles. Though most of them would die in Babylon, God would eventually bring his people back. Today, God's people can claim uh, God's final purpose for them is not exile, being in the world, but not of it, but to be uh, with Jesus in the, in the promised land, heaven forever, of course. Ultimately, God's plans are for our well-being and not for disaster, but we need to be careful about using this verse out of its context. Verse 12. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Alright? You will come. God's presence and response to prayer is tied together here. Uh, the message of, of praying, praying for <coughs> the peace of Babylon as we've seen in the prior verse 7 and God's plan of peace for the exiles uh, in verse 11 we just, just read. He's never far away uh, than our next prayer to We saw this in the demonstration. Remember the demonstration of the potter and, and the clay? Alright. God's hand never leaves you. Right? And that's what we see here talking about these exiles. Talking about these exiles. Alright. Begin with 13. You will seek me. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. All right? So God promised him, search with all your heart. You will find me. All right? And that's the shepherd says, and his promise is to the whole world, when he said all nations, which, you know, the Jewish people didn't want in the beginning. Yes, they, they didn't grasp that, all right? They thought it was them. He was their God, all right? And so, but he was promising here to restore them, but they seek them with all their heart. They were have, have to be like us. You have to be all out for Jesus, or rather here all in for Jesus, however you want to say it, all right? That's seeking it with your whole heart, all right? God's plan has always been uh, to restore wayward people, all right? And that's what he says there. So the Bible affirms that's God's restoration, uh, and it typically follows uh, when the people humble themselves. We've talked about this, Second Chronicles 7, 14, if my people... 
they'll call by my name on themselves and pray. So we can still, when we're away, we can still experience God's restoration even today, providing we repent and return to Him in faith. So what conclusion can we draw from all this? Well, I have these three close to, or two. I have these two. First, thrive where you're planted. God wants us to reflect His character, uh, especially when we are in a place where not many people do. Think smart. Think Cobb County. All right. Think the USA. So nowhere are we called to blend in with society. Rather, we are to be salt and light to the world. And second, we have to ignore the noise from people with false messages. There's a lot of noise and there are a lot of false messages uh, that that bombarding us from all angles every day. There were then, there are now. So don't let the noise deceive you. Don't listen to it. Focus on those things that are true, honorable, and worthy of praise. And note this, that God gives us hope. God's not done with us. He's never left us. And he's never taken his eyes or hands off of feet, off of you. He wants us to recognize his value. The value that he places on us, that we place on him, and our relationships, relationship with him. He wants you and I to seek him like there's nothing else to seek. All right. Two minutes past. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your written word. Thank you for providing for us. May it guide us. May it help us to know more about you about your character and your plans for us. May it give us wisdom so that we can deflect false uh, speakers who are among us today, uh, spreading false messages. Help us to seek you with all of our heart now as we leave this place today. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.